Um, it's going to take you at least twice as long as you think. Uh, it will probably be three times more frustrating and challenging than you could imagine. And it's a million times more rewarding if you stay the course, ask for help, and don't give up. Just keep going. I was listening to a friend of mine who's a keynote speaker yesterday, and she said uh, uh, she's a fighter pilot, one of you know very few fighter pilots in, in all of the military. She's in the Air Force. And she said um, that she went in saying, I will fail out before I walk out. I'm capable. I'm going to do this, obviously asking for help and getting all the training, but they will have to fail me because I'm not quitting. And that's, that's my advice to, to, to recognize this is going to be a whole lot harder than you imagine. And there's no way for us to, that have gone through it to really tell you. You have to go through it, uh, but don't give up. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups in the seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now today we've got another great guest on the podcast, Paul Daniels. And uh, Paul, um, in high or in his own words, you know, high school and college was difficult for him. Had uh, dyslexia that uh, wasn't diagnosed until he was forty, but uh, had that earlier on without realizing it. Um, but also worked his way through school and uh, graduated and, and worked for a business and out in Arizona. Uh, then started his own sportswear company. Um, business uh, started small. Um, I think bought uh, hot dogs for food and lived in his car, which sounds like a great <laughs> thing. And uh, then sold that business, worked for another business, um, and then uh, moved around to a couple of different small or small businesses. And then started a side hustle as a consultant alongside the uh, full time job, which is what he's now or what he's doing now. So, with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Paul. <laughs> Thanks, Devin. Glad to be here. Long time listener, first time guest. There you go. Good, glad, excited to have you here. So well, with that, I took a, a much longer journey and uh, packed it into the 32nd version. So why don't we unpack that a bit and tell us uh, sure. how your journey got started in uh, high school and college? Yeah. So, uh, you know, like most entrepreneurs, I started cutting lawns <laughs> for uh, when I was young and, and got other kids in the neighborhood to uh, to cut the lawns. And I ran out, went out and got the business. But you know, in, in high school and college, as you'd mentioned, they were really difficult for me, mostly academically. Um, didn't know that I had dyslexia, but I was, I was labeled as dumb, um, stupid, slow, lazy, a daydreamer, a bunch of things. Uh, and yet I still knew that I saw the world slightly different than most and was able to come up with new ideas and new ventures and whatnot, where other people saw challenges, I just saw opportunities. Uh, going into college, uh, I worked full-time, put myself through school, and then the company I was working for uh, asked if I would go and start up a, a, a division for them, a sales office in uh, Arizona, in the Phoenix area. And I did that, took the opportunity, ran out there, started it up, um, got it running, found a general manager, and then decided, okay, what do I really want to do? That's when I started my first company. Uh, which now, before was, we dive in, and we'll definitely yeah. dive into the first company, but what was, the, you know, so you go off to Arizona, what was the business you worked for? Or where did you just start out at? 
Yeah, it was a design firm and uh, it's the same company that I'd worked through with uh, throughout college. And they opened up a sales office in Phoenix. And so I went out as the um, office manager, uh, general manager, and ran everything from sales, sales operations to uh, delivery, um, client satisfaction, uh, finding new opportunities for the company, uh, and, <laughs> and even doing some of the bookkeeping. I was the wrong person for that job, but <laughs> they gave me the opportunity and it was great. It was a good experience, you know, kind of going out there without knowing anyone uh, at a young age and, uh, and kind of finding your way through things. No, that makes sense and sounds like you get opportunity now. As, I, as you were just jumping into it and uh, yeah. I'd uh, cut you off to had a question, but you, you mentioned that, you know, you'd work for them and how long did you did you work for that uh, business out in Arizona? A little over six years. So uh, five years it took me to get through college and then another year, year and a half-ish to uh, to get that established and and found someone that was really well qualified to, uh, to run it. And I had this inkling and this itch to start my own thing to do something that um, that was kind of in the back of my mind. I thought, gosh, if now's the time to do something like that before married, before kids, before any of those things, uh, now's it. And I took it and I started a sportswear company from scratch, it was designed and manufacture it. And uh, within six months, I had reps in 26 states and the sportswear line was being represented uh, in a number of, uh, you know, um, mortar, brick and mortar kind of, uh, retail places. Uh, it was it was great fun. It was a, a lot of hard work, as you well know. And uh, and then about a year and a half, two years into that, um, I had reached kind of the maximum that I could take the company. And as you kind of alluded to the fact that there was a time when we were growing, but I didn't have the working capital to to take to manage some of the um, some of the orders that were coming in. So I. The only way I knew how to raise money was to save money at that time. So I, I left the apartment, um, stopped my lease there, cut everything, lived in my car for two months, and I lived on um, $2 a day. From the AM, PM, you could get two hot dogs and a large Coke. And so I'd skip breakfast. <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have lunch um, with that hot dog, and then I'd stick the other one. It was in Phoenix, so it was nice and hot. Stick it on the dash of the car, and it'd be warm to have for dinner. Uh, and find a parking lot, sleep, get up, do it again. Well, definitely sounds like you were, uh, you know, dedicated to the business. I don't know that I, I, I don't know that with any of my, I, I, maybe I would, but problem is I have a family and kids, so I don't know that I could, I, they would all fit in the car. That would quite work. But I think that there's, <laughs> yeah. you know, definitely a level of you have to decide, hey, how are, are you are all in? How much are you going to willing to sacrifice? And what does that right. mean? And so, so you're, you know, you're getting the hot dogs and sleeping in the car, and, you know, trying to build a business, getting the working capital, did it go well? Did, you know, after yep. those couple months, did you start to get clientele, start to have it take off? Did you decide, yep. I've had it, I'm going to go work for someone else again, because <laughs> I can only eat so many hot dogs or kind of, how did that go? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm, I am still a fan of hot dogs, but not quite um, the, that brand. Uh, yeah, the company did well. So we'd already gotten uh, several orders and, and we were working through those, but then some larger ones came in. And I needed the capital to get materials to, you know, manufacture and, and service the clients and the orders that came in. So we got through that hump and, and it started to grow. Uh, but again, it was going to be the same thing. I could see that it needed capital. And the guy that I'd hired to do marketing for me, 
um, had capital, was really interested in it, and, and he and his wife had been in the industry before, and they were looking for another uh, venture. So I was happy to, to sell it to them. Uh, and I found that you know I was interested in corporate life uh, for large corporations. And I found my way into uh, a large multinational, well, a global company uh, at the time, um, Electronic Data Systems. Not sure if you know of them, but EDS was run by Ross Perot. And they had, you know, the time that I was with them between 100 and 110,000 employees worldwide and went in there and, and learned a ton about business, also learned how to raise money and, um, and served a bunch of different industries. Uh, and corporate America was great for the training and for the exposure, um, not so much for, uh, for creative outlet and entrepreneurial spirits. I did found a, a small division within the business unit I was in that was for um, emerging markets which felt more like the, you know, the entrepreneurial SWAT team, 10 to 12 of us, figure this out. Let's go and, and find some clients, see if we've got a value proposition and so on. So I kind of hopped around, um, did five relocations in six years with them, um, left when I hit the glass ceiling, went to another large company, went to a, some international companies. Uh, and then one, took out... one question on, on that before you get yeah, too sure. far. So, you know, you work for them for a period of time and, you know, people say they hit the glass ceiling and that can mean different things. I mean, it can mean that, oh, good hey, I haven't made it. I'm not making enough money. I want to make more money or I can't grow as much as I want to grow or I want to take on a position or I'm just tired and burned out and I really don't want to do this anymore. So kind of as you're hitting the glass ceiling, first of all, kind of how do you define that? But also, how did you know that you're reaching that point? Yeah, so I'd say D, all of the above. And um, and the glass ceiling for me wasn't necessarily burnout or energy. Um, it was the opposite. I had no place to put my energy. I'd hit the ceiling. Uh, I've, I've been promoted, as I mentioned. I, I relocated five times in six years. And, and I, I was to the point where I had very candid conversations with business unit presidents that my next step would be some form of vice president or you know, a, a senior vice president or something like that within a business unit. And they said, candidly, you're going to need to wait 10 to 15 years because the people that are in those spots aren't going anywhere. And obviously, the higher up you go in an organization, the fewer opportunities there are. Uh, and I, have, I had no ill will toward the company. I just I knew I was in my prime and I needed to keep moving. And I wasn't willing to wait 10 years for that position to open up. And thankfully so, because you know I left, cashed out my stock, those kinds of things. Uh, and within a few years, the company had really not done well. So um, I might have been in a position to take that, that VP. Uh, I don't think I would have wanted it then <laughs> because it was on that decline. So for me, it was um, opportunity. I'd learned everything I thought I could learn in the positions that I had, was grateful for it. I had tons of energy uh, and, uh, and was newly married, uh, no children. My wife was a trainer at the same company. So we both traveled. I just had... I wanted to go. Let's go. Let's find something. Let's go. Let's get bigger and grow. And uh, that just wasn't there. So the opportunity to do the same thing at a smaller, similar company came up. Happy to take that and did a few more of those. And that's when uh, in 2007, I started my own advisory firm. Now, before we, and we'll definitely get yeah. to the advisory firm now, before we get to there. So you said you saw, you know, you went to a few different companies that were kind of on the smaller sides or the startup sides and kind of worked with them, but, you know, before getting to the, the consultancy you're doing now, but, you know, as you're doing those, what were the companies and kind of what made you go between them? In other words, kind of, you know, 
or jump between the different jobs, not in a bad way, but just, it's always interesting. You know, yeah. there are different people. Sometimes you're always thinking out, I rather than do my own startup or do my own side hustle or that, I'll just work for someone else. And you never can quite scratch that itch and eventually find out, Hey, I just have to do it myself. Sometimes, yeah. Hey, I would have been happy working for there, but there's startups and I didn't go anywhere. Kind of what was the transition as you're going through those before you, or you start doing your own side hustle? Yeah. Interesting. So the, the, um, they seem to begin to uh, decrease in revenue and the number of, uh, of employees. So uh, I went from EDS to, uh, to Unisys and helped them start their outsourcing business, which is what I was doing at EDS. And, uh, and that division uh, was about 15,000 people instead of 110,000. Uh, and we, we sold, um, the, my team sold the largest in the history of that company in a single deal in six months from, from contact to contract, we closed a $220 million deal, which is the largest in, in Unisys history. I think it's the second largest now ever. And that was back in the nineties, early nineties. Um, and then, uh, you know, that kind of progressed, got as far as I could go there and kept wanting to use the experiences that I had as well as gather new experiences. I'm, I'm just really big on taking what you've learned and applying it everywhere, not just I learned it here, and so it has to be outsourcing or it has to be whatever. Uh, you know, one of my fondest memories is sitting with a business unit president, at General Electric, one afternoon. We were just talking a little bit, and before I knew it, it was four hours. We'd had lunch. He'd put off all of his other meetings, and we simply brainstormed a brand new solution on his whiteboard of, of his conference room. Um, 30 days later, it launched, put the company, I was, um, I was a division president for a software company and it put that company on the map and it helped GE in a huge way. Uh, so it's applying those experiences in unique ways that has really kind of defined uh, my life and my career. And it, a lot of it has to do with dyslexia because we see things that other people miss uh, it's scientifically proven that we have uh, heightened awareness, uh, visual, peripheral vision, literal, and then our minds think of uh, things that are unrelated and try and apply them and, and put them together to create something new. And everything that we see and hear reminds us of something else. So our memories stack and they compound. So after 40 years of doing this in 20 let's see, a little over two dozen industries and almost 30 countries. <laughs> I've got a few memories and they just all play together real nice in my head, ready to be applied at any moment. Well, that's awesome. So no, and that, and that sounds like a, a great uh, journey to kind of uh, lead to where you're more at today. So now you've kind of gone through those startups and you work through your way through those and then towards the end of that, you know, you're in still have a, a good uh, journey ahead of you. But you say, okay, I have, want to do kind of a consultancy now. And I, I think when we talked about it beforehand, but uh, you can definitely correct me where I'm wrong, is that you're, you, this started out, and maybe it still is, but it was a side hustle. In other words, you were still working a full-time job. Then we're going to go back to doing hot dogs and living in the car again, or maybe you didn't have to this time, but you started right. to do the consultancy. So kind of how did you land on that's what you wanted to start out and kind of how did it go? Yeah, um, it, up to that point, I had most of my focus had been in revenue generation and that's uh, all, de all departments. Uh, the only place that I, ha I don't, haven't had a chief officer position is the CFO and I'll, I'll never be a CFO, but 
I've been CEO, you know, of my own companies. I've been the president of divisions. I've been um, COO, chief revenue officer, chief sales officer, uh, which includes marketing. Um, and so I wanted to take some of those experiences and share those with, uh, you know, mid-sized companies, small to mid-sized companies to bridge the gap between the siloed, um, the siloed departments showing their interoperability and interdependency and then, and then allow them to think out loud and show them how ideas from other industries uh, could apply. An example, in 2010, I was working with a, a hospital in the Midwest and uh, we did a, a two-day uh, session. It was a Friday afternoon. It was first part of the year. It was really cold. I remember that my hands and my feet were really cold because it was you know, freezing in the Midwest. That hospital was ranked kind of mid-pack it was declining towards being kind of marginalized and the patient engagement organization wanted to increase their focus on advertising, on um, uh, patient surveys, and really become the hospital of choice for their community. Met with the director of that department as uh, the Friday was wrapping up and she said, hey, I want to, you know, I need to reschedule next week's meeting because I'm taking my family to Hawaii. No problem. We rescheduled. I went home back to Dallas. And uh, that Sunday, I got a message from, we'll call her uh, Jennifer Johnson, the director. And she said, I get it. That whole periphery thing, I get it. I'm like, okay, I've never heard you so excited. What do you mean? What, what happened? Well, my husband and I and the kids, we just checked into the, ho the hotel and I got this text message. And so she starts reading to me this text message on her mobile phone. And she said, it, it said something like, um, you know, welcome to the Waikoloa Village Hotel and Resort. Glad that you chose up. If there's anything I can do to make your stay exceptional, please call me. And it was the general manager and, and he gave her his personal phone. And she says, do you get it? Do you get it? Said, well, I've been to that property. It's a great property. That's a good experience for a guest. She said, exactly. Why can't we do the same thing for patients in my hospital? I went, oh yeah, you do get it. There, I mean, there was a solution that was already existing, low risk, immediate application. Uh, she came back, we worked some things, and within 30 days, she was applying that. Now, you can fast forward, you know, more than a decade, and you see electronic communication between providers, hospitals, patients, all over, but not in 2010. And now that Jennifer Johnson is the, piece, the chief patient experience officer for a 20 hospital health system. She kicked it off. It was that just mind shift of saying, wow, this hospitality, hospitality, they use text. Why can't I do that? I do the same thing when I meet with Mike, my buddy at the Home Depot. Every Saturday morning, I go and get stuff because I don't need it, but I want it. And Mike is working in the hardware aisle and he's got a wealth of experience from his, his life. He just works there for fun. And we talk about everything. And there's just so much that you can learn by just looking around. So that's what I wanted to bring to corporate America. After being diagnosed with dyslexia at age 40, everything started to click. I went, oh, I get that, I get that. And now we've found these eight skills that are in uh, of eight of the top nine highest skills needed for the year 2025 and beyond for every industry happen to align with the innate skills found in dyslexic innovators. And so we've cracked the code. We know what those skills are. And now instead of coming up with solutions, I'm teaching people how to do it themselves. Now, 
No, I think that definitely makes sense and sounds like an, an, uh, an exciting uh, place to be. So now with that, so where does that put you today? Is it, hey, you've grown up a consultancy and it's a full-time gig and uh, took off and making you rich beyond wild belief or it's still a side gig and you're still working a full-time job and you're yeah. open to balance both or you want to do the side, or side hustle as a full-time thing? You're kind of, where does that leave you? Well, I think you kind of catch on that I've got a little bit more energy than normal. Um, and I don't drink coffee or any caffeine. So, oh, God help us if we had uh, coffee here. Uh, so um, I, a friend of mine's asked me, I'm, I'm the chief revenue officer for Intelligent Contacts, which is, which is a software company that does payments and communications for healthcare and for um, the accounts receivable management industry. And so that's kind of my full-time day job. Uh, the, the consulting firm has kind of ebbed and flowed. My largest client uh, in 2011 uh, said, look, we're paying you a lot of money. Why don't you just come here and, and just, you know, run this. So I went and did that. I said, as long as I can keep doing this on the side, they said, fine. And so over the last, however, decade plus, um, it's been on and off based on the amount of energy that I have. I've added to the advisory firm. Um, I do public speaking uh, and I've got a, um, a co-author, a contributing author for a book that comes out in May. So I don't sleep much, but that's okay. I can sleep when I'm dead. And I expect that, you know, the company I'm working for, it's just, it's an outstanding company. We're growing leaps and bounds. I love that. And the advisory firm is doing the same thing. So I just find people that, um, especially on the advisory side, that can do the day-to-day -day operational things. Uh, and I contribute the content, the brain uh, trust. And then I'm working with uh, executives that are part of that mastermind as they come up with new content and we're, you know, co-branding and, and making that available to more and more people. It's just a, it's just a boatload of fun, a boatload of fun. <laughs> oh, that, you know, that's awesome. And that uh, definitely sounds like a, a fun place to be um, yeah. in life. And so now with that, now as we kind of have caught up a bit to where you're at today and even looking, you know, and looking to, to where maybe but you're headed, um, always a fun time to jump to the two questions I always uh, ask at the end of each journey now. Before we do that, just as a, as a reminder, as a note or heads up to the, the audience, we also are doing the bonus question where we talk about uh, one uh, crazy entrepreneurial idea um, is uh, after the, the normal episode wraps up. So if you want to hear that, definitely stay tuned um, to make sure you catch that. But before we dive to that and we do the normal two questions at the end of each episode, first question I always ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? What did you learn from it? So while I was sleeping in my car, in Phoenix, in the summer, <laughs> uh, the worst decision that I made uh, after we got through all of that, I went back and you know I had a place to live now and all that. I sold the company, and I sold it too soon. And it was because I didn't know how to raise capital. More importantly, I didn't have the guts to ask for help. To be just completely transparent, what I learned is that when you, when you develop something and when you become so self-independent uh, and reliant, there comes a point when you have to ask for help. And it's at that defining moment that you either choose to ask for help, struggle, fail, whatever that is. And I, and I chose not to ask for help. Uh, and I found that you know my marketing director was willing to buy the company. It worked out for me. I moved on. Looking back at it, um, it was, it was probably the worst decision I could have made because there were so many more lessons I could have learned by just asking for help. 
Um, and, and man, that's, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't like uh, pain me to think about that, but that lesson has stuck with me and I'm, I'm getting better at it. I'm not perfect yet, <laughs> but I'm getting better at it. And I'll ask you for some help after we, uh, we finish the, our, uh, our recording. Absolutely. No, that's great. And I think it's always good to, as you said, get better at it. And it's, you know, the mistakes you make, one, it's easy to make them, but two, it's, uh, you know, there's plenty of learning to do. And it's rarely just a, hey, I've made, you know, I'm, I'm now perfect at that thing, but you can always work to improve it and make it better. And so I think that's a, a great uh, takeaway. Yeah. Second question I always ask is now if you talk to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Okay, so um, this is a compound sentence. So, all right, it's going to be more than one, but just go with me on it. Um, it's going to take you at least twice as long as you think. Uh, it will probably be three times more frustrating and challenging than you could imagine. And it's a million times more rewarding. If you stay the course, ask for help, and don't give up just keep going. I was listening to a friend of mine who's a keynote speaker yesterday, and she said uh, uh, she's a fighter pilot, one of you know very few fighter pilots in, in all of the military. She's in the Air Force. And she said um, that she went in saying, I will fail out before I walk out. I'm capable. I'm going to do this, obviously asking for help and getting all the training, but they will have to fail me because I'm not quitting. And that's, that's my advice to, to, to recognize this is going to be a whole lot harder than you imagine. And there's no way for us to, that have gone through it to really tell you, you have to go through it, uh, but don't give up. And when you think it's, you know, you're about to give up, say, how long did I think it would take? Oh, take about two years and you're four years. Great. You're just around the corner. Right. Yep. And, and you All think, right. uh, man, I, I, I think this is like three times harder than I ever thought it would be. Awesome. You're right at the precipice of a great breakthrough. No, I think that, and I think that there's a lot. And I think that, you know, the interesting thing is even when people say, oh, it's going to take you as long as, or longer than you expect, and then you double it and you say, no, I'm being generous. It usually still takes longer than what you expect, even <laughs> when you're saying it's going to, oh, well, I think it'll take me a year. So I'm going to say two years. And then to your point, it really takes four years. And right. yet people think, oh, I, I'll be the exception. I can get this down to where I know exactly how long it's going to take. And it always takes longer. And I think that's just the nature right. of almost every project. But I think it's a good thing to anticipate, hey, wherever you think it's going to land, even if you're giving yourself some cushion, give yourself some more cushion because absolutely. it only is going to take that extra time. So Absolutely. You know, everybody had a grandma that grabbed him by the cheek and said, you're special. You're unique. You're one of a kind. And that's true in many cases. But you're not that unique that you can take a five-year experience and compact it into a year or two. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. You're special right. if you last the five years. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, now as, uh, well, as we wrap up the episode, before we get to the uh, bonus question, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, yeah. they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's yeah. the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? Terrific. So um, you can find me uh, on my website. I'll just say that it's going through a whole rebranding process. So if it, if it looks funky or the the content doesn't look real great. <laughs> Just stick with me. Uh, it's pauldanielsjr.com, pauldanielsjr.com. And there's a contact um, tab there. There's if, if people are interested in having me come to speak at their next event, 
there's a hold the date uh, tab as well. And I'm always open to new people from any walk of life that want to connect with me on LinkedIn. And that's, you know, LinkedIn, just look up Paul Daniels Jr. And uh, likely you'll find me. I'm in the Texas area. I'd be happy to connect with you and answer questions. And my personal mobile phone. No, I'm not going to give you my personal mobile phone. <laughs> All right. Well, then they'll just have to wait until they connect up here to get the personal mobile phone. Yeah, but right. Time, that's definitely a great, or some great ways to connect up with you and uh, definitely encourage people to do so. Well, Thanks. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a, fun, it's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So just go to uh, inventiveguest.com. Quiet to be on the show. A couple more things as listeners. Make sure to click share, subscribe, and leave us a review because we want to make sure that everyone finds out about all of our awesome episodes and journeys. And last but not least, if you ever need help with your patents, your trademarks, or anything else with your startup or your small business, just go to strategymeeting.com. Grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Well, now as we've wrapped up the normal part of the episode, and it's always kind of fun to switch gears just a bit and, you know, still along the same lines, but I always find that there's always a lot of times if you're an entrepreneur, you don't just have this one idea that you want to pursue. You'll have a lot of ideas that you want to pursue. And you'll usually pick one or two of them. And then the other ones, you always kind of have that, well, someday pile, or if I ever have time pile. And so it's always kind of fun to hear the kind of crazy entrepreneurial idea, entrepreneurial, if I can say it without getting tongue tied, ideas that uh, people come up so with. So with that, I turn it over to you to, to, to share with the audience your one uh, crazy entrepreneurial idea. Well, it, part of this comes from my time in sportswear. And then the other part comes from what you do with IP and trademarks and a bunch of other things. Um, for those listeners that remember the 80s and fads, they kind of came and went. There was, you know, pet rocks and different kinds of clothing. And, and we certainly rode some of those waves when I was in at... Uh, uh, my sportswear company. However, um, there are still fads, if you will, or things that trend. And for those that have an idea, my entrepreneurial idea is to take that idea that you have, make it a product or service, spend most of your energy on developing awareness and uh, buzz around that solution, outsource all the production of it, all the things that are overhead that are operationally focused, to people that are really good at that, ride that wave as it continue, as it grows. And yes, it takes time to grow, but before it reaches its peak in its life cycle, license it. License the idea, license the service, the product, whatever that is, and do the net, do it again. Rinse, repeat. And you can have multiple cycles going at the same time. But sticking to that for those that like variety uh, in their life and the way that they think, it's an opportunity to create um, new things to always have them going. And no, you don't get the full benefit of being the founder of, of Amazon, but you can ride Amazon like things up to a certain point before it has to be operationalized and standardized. And you building these cultural things that may not um, fit the creative model and license it, sell it, uh, still hold a percentage of that, let that grow up and trail off like all life cycles while you're starting another one. Um, and so at my, uh, my uh, title for that is FADCO. A oh, fad yeah, just one. Yeah, I got it. I like that. I like the name. So now with that one question I had is I, you know, is, is, is hearing the idea 
is, you know, I think one of the difficulties sometimes can be is identifying what that next new fad would be. In other words, you know, you had this Snuggie out there. When you see the Snuggie, after you see it and everybody buys it, you say, oh, that makes sense. Well, you know, that's kind of a, a, a catchy idea. And some of those other ones, you know, the fidget spinners and that. And yet, you know, some of the difficulty is coming up with the, or anticipating which is the next fad. So any thoughts or ideas as to how you figure out or anticipate what the next fad is that you're then going to yeah. do the company yeah. Okay, so you hit the you hit it right in the head, Devin. The it's not anticipating, it's creating the fad. Hmm. So if you think of, uh, I don't want to use the the family with the K last name in California, but you think of their ability to influence things. I could put an ugly pair of shoes on them, and if they like it, a million people will like it. So it does involve having um, uh, influencers. It involves being engaged in a market or something that you know is moving in a direction. And it also requires you to think ahead or outside of that box to come up with a new idea. Then you float that idea without a ton of investment to see what kind of traction you can get. Maybe you do some prototypes and things like that and you gather enough uh, interest that you now have the key phrases, the key way to market that, promote it, find the influencers, get it out in front of the marketplace uh, with small investment. You're not building a manufacturing plant. You're, you know, the Snuggie wasn't, uh, didn't have a warehouse of 5,000, 500,000 of those. It had some, uh, and it had the ability to build those and to manufacture them quickly, right? And then it gets on QVC and poof, done. Oh, absolutely. Right. No, I like that. And I like the idea. And I think that, you know, I think the the magic would be in as, as to how you actually, uh, get or create the fads or, you know, get the, get it out there. And I think that that's a, a fun way to, or, you know, a fun business would be is to go out, create those fads right. and then get them out in the marketplace and then do that. So I think I love the the crazy idea and I don't think it's that crazy. Yeah. So uh, we'll put it up there for all the audience. We uh, do a weekly uh, or, or video where you get a vote yeah. on the great ideas, terrible ideas. So definitely make sure to, uh, to, to check that out and vote, uh, vote on the idea. And with that, thank you again, Paul, for coming on the uh, podcast. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. And wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Cheers. Best to everybody.